Good evening, High Point. Welcome to our final discussion on our book, uh, Searching for the Pattern. So give me a shout out, let me know you're here. So there's always a, a fear of a letdown that, hey, you bring the author of the book on, then what is your crazy preacher gonna say after you've heard from the author? So, but we'll see who the tried and true faithful are that wanna hop on and we'll give you an early shout out. So we'll see who our first to get in is. Uh, so we generally have some folks that hop on early and then we got some folks that hop on like midway through. So we know who the gold star folks are. It's the Pierces. All right, good to have Joe Pierce with us tonight and Don Pierce. All right, Nancy, you were close second. Nancy Middlebrook, good to have you. Carrie Smith. Hey, you got you got the bronze medal, Carrie. You, you got on about 17 last week. Yeah, I, I'm keeping touch. All right, Don and Harriet, y'all got the first runner up. Good to have you guys. And then Connie and Dee Bailey. I don't know if I remember seeing you guys last week, but hopefully you were there. Hello, Herzogs. Good to have you in the house. Always good to see you guys. All right. And then we got the full in checks. So Karen, I don't know if Ron has been able to get out and play some golf. Hopefully he has. If not the virus, the heat's going to get him. So, all right. We got, we got the Dulocks. Good evening to you guys as well. And Evansburgers, Robbie and Grady. Good to have you guys. And looks like we got Jane Overman. Good to have you. Glad you're watching. Uh, oh, there's Bob Mitchell, Bob and Jane. Okay, so uh, Bob, hopefully you weren't put in the penalty box last week by your very controversial question, but it's a very good question. I appreciate you throwing it out. Hello, Linda, good to have you. And John and Talia as well. Oh, there's Bill and Kathy, good to have you. And there's Lynn Belknap. Hopefully you and David are doing well. So uh, we were just talking that it was like 114 degrees out in West Texas last week. So we'll take our 95 here or whatever it is. Hello, Larry and Jerry. Good to have you guys. All right. And there is Wilma Holloway. Miss Wilma, I miss seeing you around the office, but I'm glad that you're not coming in and staying safe. Hello, Wiggingtons. Good to have you guys. Hopefully you guys are blessed. Oh, and there's the Dunlops. Good to have Sharon and Ken here. And there is Jadetta Grant. Hello to you guys. Okay, so uh, I mentioned just a few minutes ago, this is our last class talking about this book, but hopefully we'll keep this conversation going because it's an important conversation for us. What I hope to do in the next few weeks is to do some testimonials and to interview some different interesting people around the church and uh, let them kind of share their story. Let me kind of um, throw out some questions for them. And then also have you guys ask questions as well. So I'll let you know and, and we'll have, and if you want to hop on and you want to be interviewed, uh, let me know because uh, I'll be looking for some um, to kind of wrap up our summer together and then we'll start a brand new study uh, come in the fall. So next few weeks, we want to let some different people shine and let them kind of share their story and 
so if you'd like to do that, uh, let me know and I'll interview you and put you on the list. Okay, it looks like the Delauders and Crutchmans are here as well. Oh, and there is Lyndon et al. Good to have you guys. Hopefully y'all aren't trying to do too much work out on your land because it's way too hot. So get up early if you're gonna do that. Okay, uh, Jessica, let's bring on Lynn without further ado. Oh, there's Betsy Vienna. Glad to have you as well. Okay, so Lynn and I got together last week, and uh, if if y'all could all clap from your homes at the great job that Lynn has done, because he has been fantastic. And I appreciate the way that uh, he and I have been able to jump back and forth and challenge each other and, and kind of hop on uh, each other. So he and I are, are definitely aligned on a lot of this stuff. So it's fantastic. But Lynn and I want to have one more week where we kind of tie up some loose ends, uh, but also leave some time at the end for either your questions or comments. Because uh, when we had John Mark Hicks last week, uh, you know, he was answering about three questions. And that's about all he had time for. So if you had a question, uh, not quite as good having not having John with us, but we do have uh, Lynn, myself. So hopefully we're not chopped liver and we can we can uh, at least weigh in and give our thoughts. So we're going to be dependent on you guys. We've got about 30 minutes of content. But if you have questions or comments you want us to address, keep them short. Tara Norris, I'm talking to you. We, we can't have four paragraphs. Come on. Short questions for us, uh, and we'll try to address those. So, uh, okay, so we've got Nancy White here as well, and, and Jim and Amy Nora, good to have you. So, uh, I know not everyone was able to be with us here last week, Lynn, uh, and we are kind of summarizing. So, hit, uh, hit us with a basic understanding of the two handles that the trapeze artist has. One is the handle we're used to, which is kind of that patternistic thinking. And if we're gonna let go of that, help us define this theological Jesus story that we're gonna grab onto. So kind of summarize what we've tried to do over the past eight weeks. Okay, there are, in my mind, there are three or four like key differences in the two approaches. The the one that we're used to with starting with command all the way through inference and the theological pattern. And so let me illustrate it this way. I think there is, uh, when you're trying to do something, there is function and there's form. In other words, there is a principle or even theological principle or right. form. So being an engineer, let me give you an example. If God says that we're supposed to work and uh, have money and have access if we can to serve and help others that that uh, don't have it, okay, that's like build a bridge. If I tell you know an engineer to build a bridge, there are all kinds of ways he can build that bridge to get from one side to the other side. So yeah. the the principle is build a bridge. The form is the form that that bridge takes to accomplish the purpose that originally was there. So in my mind, one of the principal differences there is in logic is the difference between principle and, and form. And you can have a form that doesn't even come close to fulfilling the, the principle itself. Right. 
So with that, with that in mind, we can also look at uh, context. When you're interpreting scripture, you need to stay in context. Well, what we have done with the command example, necessary inference, we have really abandoned context because we pick one verse here, one verse there, one verse over here, and we put it all together without context and said, okay, since it talks about that, then here's what we deduce the, the, the real deal is. But that is not the context of the Bible. The context of the Bible is not Acts and the epistles. The context of the Bible is the story of God's redemption from creation to the new creation and all the steps in between. So the second major difference is we're returning to the major context of the Bible instead of trying to create our own context out of disparate scriptures. The third uh, difference, I believe, is... Hey, Lynn, let me, go ahead. let me time just, just one second, because I, and I, I completely agree with you, but one of the things I thought John Mark did well last week and in his book is to say that we had the best intentions for why we were wanting to do this, which was God-honoring. Okay, continue on. Okay. Okay, as, as we look at the next principle difference, so one is form and function and returning to function. The second is really put it into context. And then the third is really obeying the principle command that God gave us, not only love God, love others as God, you know, as we love ourselves and then as God loved us, as Christ loved us, but also the context of being a disciple of Christ. So the focus then becomes not, did we get this particular form right? Because that's not what God tells us to do. He says, your life should be transformed to be like Christ. So now the focus becomes Christ and what he did and why he did it and the way and, and who he went to and how. And so those three things, I think, are major anchors on the differences between what, what uh, we had done in the past and what the theological hermeneutic does. It refocuses back on Christ, where it should be in the first place. Yeah. So let me do a little summary statement that John Mark does. And if you bought the book, uh, I'm going to be reading from page 124 and 125. It said, he summarizes all of scripture in this way. God created all things. God's loving mercy initiated the scheme of redemption. God promised salvation to the whole world through Israel. God worked through Abraham and David. God was revealed in the flesh for our salvation. Jesus, Jesus was baptized in water, anointed by the Spirit as the Messiah. Jesus went about doing good. Jesus died for our sins. He was raised from the dead by the Spirit, and Jesus was enthroned as Lord. The Spirit poured out for us as our renewal. And then he said, given this redemptive scheme at the bottom of 125, since we read the Bible to seek the will of God through the lens of God's larger story. So, Lynn, it, I think it's pretty interesting that if we look at Scripture, in, in the First Testament, in the law that was, was passed down to Moses, 
was very specific as to how God wanted his people to be. And so you had the 613 laws that were given, and then you had all the hedge laws. And if you want to jump in on that, that that's fine. But you had all of the different interpretations as to who the rabbi was and that type of thing. And then Jesus comes in and, you know, in, in Mark chapter 12, he takes these 613. He says, let me give you the top two. And that's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And then what's really cool is on the night he's going to be betrayed. He comes into John 13 and he goes, okay, I know we went from 613 to two. Let's go from two down to one. Go do Jesus stuff. And that's what he tells them. He said, the way I've loved you, go love other people. And so that's, that's the lens of what God has done for us in Jesus and how that should impact us so much. And then he's like, go love people like I loved you. So Talk to us about how foundational that is that we understand that Jesus story and that everything we do filters through that gospel lens. And then we're going to give a few more shout outs and hit a few questions. Okay. If you, if you internalize what, uh, what Brad is saying that Jesus said there about go to Jesus stuff, that says that, that if you look at the background that you went through, guess what? Paul in Romans explicitly says, you try to do this law type stuff, if you try to follow this exactly, even under the law, you're gonna fail, you can't. It's yep. impossible, it's impossible. And so Jesus then also then by doing this, not only we're saved by grace, but he frees us up from trying to actually save ourselves. Because really, yeah. a pattern thermonutic is one that eventually reduces itself to check these boxes off so that you have followed this form exactly. And guess what? If you do that, oh, you're the only church that's uh, going to be saved. And you're the only one that knows how to be saved. Right. And so uh, suddenly we have major freedom in many many different ways that we didn't have before now freedom is scary yeah freedom is really scary because it means we're responsible for being a disciple and transforming lives to be like jesus and we can't just check off a box and say now we've done it so hey god you got to give this to me it's really yep. scary but it's also liberating too uh, freedom and our liberty is always libertarian. And there is a really difference between unbridled freedom and liberty. Unbridled freedom is the, uh, I'm my own God. I can I can decide what I want to do no matter what. Well, the theological <laughs> hermeneutic, right. The theological hermeneutic says you have freedom, but you have freedom with, in the guidelines of how to be transformed like Christ. That is different than a bridal freedom. So it's not you can do anything you want. And that's true, you know, in many different ways. Uh, if we want to go, I talk about a little bit more about the, uh, what the differences are besides freedom, if you will. 
I think one of the things that, that it teaches us is we have to learn to be non-judgmental of other people who are trying to work out their own salvation with fear and pretty which is the principle in the Bible about our, our salvation. You know, yeah. we, we yeah. must now stop being so judgmental about our brothers and sisters in Christ and about other uh, Christian believers. That doesn't mean we have to change what we do and what we understand by our conscience that we should do or not do. That doesn't mean we have to do that at all. But that yeah. does mean you must not judge the conscience and the actions of other people in terms of how they're trying to be Christ followers. Uh, that is yeah. a big deal. And other churches as well. I mean, because, you know, Jesus talks about, hey, if they're ministering in my name, leave them alone. Our, our enemy is Satan, not brothers that are proclaiming Jesus and they have it figured out a different way. Uh, we have, uh, in my judgment, spent too, many, too much time and energy uh, condemning the what we perceive to be the errors of others instead of trying to be disciples and converting other people to be disciples. There is a vast difference in those two uh, mindsets to, to begin with. Okay, so here, here's a question you and I didn't discuss in the, in, in the pregame warm-up. Uh, talk a little bit, because John Mark brings up how Jesus read Scripture. And I think it's important for us to understand that, that when his disciples are going through the grain field on the Sabbath and, you know, the Pharisees are like, what are you guys doing? And, and he points to the story of David in the showbread. Just, just kind of summarize for us about how Jesus looked at that opportunity and said, you're, you're missing the blessing that God intended by treating the Sabbath this way. Well, basically the principle is God has given us guidance that is good for us and for us in terms of his relationship to him and to other people. He has not given us guidance to gotcha, you know, and that's what they were doing. They, they, they were saying, okay, I got a gotcha here. And Jesus said, oh, didn't David go in and eat the showbread without any uh, problem happening to him? Why? Because that was what was needed at the time and with, with uh, the fact that the whole thing is made for the good of man, not the, the other way around. And that, that's a different view of Scripture as well. Yeah, and how that, that Jesus had... A, a list of priorities and the mercy of God in situations trumped the judgment and, and even the rule keeping. And, and that's a huge thing that if we start understanding the mercy and the grace of God, that that trumps over. We, we don't intentionally break law, but that the heart of God needs to be revealed in how we handle certain situations. Uh, okay, I'd, I'd like to elaborate on that. When, when uh, he would, they were told in the Old Testament, Jesus, you know, God wants um, mercy, not sacrifice. What does the sacrifice refer to? It refers to keeping the rules of the law. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And he said, 
what trumps keeping the rules, even if they are explicit rules like they were in the Old Testament, mercy still trumps that. Yeah. The same, you use the same principle, you know, in the, uh, uh, when he was heeding people, they said, why are you doing this on the Sabbath? Well, you know, you even know that you're going to, you know, take care of people that need it on the Sabbath. If they have to, you're not going to say, okay, I'm going to leave my ox in the ditch, if you will. You're not going to do that. They, they, yeah. they understood that. Well, and then Jesus also talked about the weightier matters of the law and how that uh, it is so easy to to level the playing, uh, level the, the field to where every command is of equal value. And Jesus is like, no, no, they're not. You, you don't neglect some of these smaller laws, but you got to make sure that what you're proclaiming is the weightier text. Because, you know, when, when I was a, a youth minister for 16 years, I felt like I had seven years with those kids in my program. And I wanted to make sure that they got the weightier matters of the law. So kind of talk a little bit, little bit about that, because that's important for us as we're reading scriptures as well, that we're focusing in on and even spending more time on the stuff that is, is right there before us instead of wondering what's not there. Well, that's... Uh... That's an interesting uh, thing to bring up. Uh, I, I will use uh, uh, my engineering professor ex experience in this way. When you're teaching electrical engineering, uh, the thing that you need to get across are fundamental laws. In our, in our, in our products uh, in the church, it would be fundamental principles of how to be a disciple. Now, why do you do that? You do that because technology changed extremely rapidly. Mm -hmm. And so you if you try to teach anything to a specific technology, as soon as they get out of school, guess what? They don't know what to do. They don't yeah. know the principles. They don't know how to handle the situations. Okay, relate that to Christian life. If you know the principles of Christian discipleship, then no matter what situation you're faced with, and you're going to be faced with many in your life, from, from health crisis to financial crisis to employment crisis to, you know, who knows how many, you're going to be faced with family crisis, you know, that happens in your family, etc. You're going to You're going to be faced with all those things. Yep. So you need to know what the discipleship principles are in order to make a wise judgment on what to do and how to go about doing it. You're yeah. not going to do that if your only focus is on forms of worship or forms of things. That doesn't cut it because that doesn't tell you anything. Yeah. About yeah. how to handle those things. Yeah. So I I try uh, in in preaching. Just I mean I've I've sat through a lot of sermons that. I'm thinking these are periphery issues at best. I just want to do, I want the church to be about Jesus. And I want every, when people come among us that they feel like that they've encountered the throne room of God and that we're talking about weightier matters of law. And I guess, Lynn, for me, the older I get, the more I want to get rid of things that distract us from the story of Jesus. I, I know you're there as well. Correct. That's that. That's very true. Uh, 
and it's uh, let's let's face it uh, trying to adhere to a particular form is not going to uh, touch the heart or transform anybody yeah. it's only Jesus and his a love for us and how he goes about things and his grace that's going to, and the Holy Spirit that's going to transform us. And that's fundamentally, you know, what we are supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be transforming into a likeness of Christ. None of us are going, going to probably anywhere come close, but that that is the reason it's a journey and it's, it's an experience. It is something that happens over time. Sometimes the time is long for some people. Sometimes it's short. We don't know. Okay, so let me give a few shout outs. John Hildreth coming in from Michigan. Okay, John, you're going to have to give me a heads up. I heard there's some nice golf courses up there. Uh, Robin Brandon says, this is exactly what I was talking about. My morning worship um, with my dad when he was in his 80s told me regarding many debates participated in that I'm done with Bible fighting. It doesn't do anyone any good. Amen. All right. So Tara Norris says, yep, freedom is scary. That's why we like rules so much, so we can feel safe and warm and cuddly. All right. Uh, and we can put God in a box. Hey, Tara, great job flipping it down. That's awesome. All right. So uh, Robin Rigby says they're here. Glad to have you guys and Paula Austin and Charles and Sandra. Good to have you in the Millsteads. Paul and Diane, glad you're here. Okay, so uh, Jim Norrid says, Lynn, what is your perspective on the author's view of women's role in the church? Now, uh, I, John Mark had to take a very high level view of this and just skimmed it. And I know that you've seen some of his research and you've also got a thick folder on that. But uh, for those that weren't able to be here, do you mind just kind of going in and doing a high level on the trajectory that John Mark was talking about last week? Because I don't want us to get too far off in the weeds, but I thought he did a, a, an admirable job at least setting the table for further discussions. Well, um, answering Jim Norrie, that is a very, very complex uh, question, primarily because of our cultural background, our yep. theological, our Bible understanding background uh, in many different ways. Basically, I think there are, there are three major trajectories that people approach this from. One is a very traditionalist, uh, basically women could do nothing. You know, God, uh, God said, man's, man's the, he's the, he's the boss, no matter what, just really summarizing that very quickly. The, the, the opposite viewpoint is the Allegarian viewpoint that says, women can do everything a man can plus. Okay. Yeah. And then there's the complementary viewpoint that's kind of in the in the middle that says, uh, and I'm talking about interpretation of scripture. You know, these are in the way the scriptures interpreted both cases. Uh, and the third case is, well, there are there are different roles for men and women, but generally speaking, we have constricted the role of women way more than the New Testament and the Old Testament constricted the role of women. Because as you look at 
what happened in the Old Testament and really how things are, uh, are stated in the New Testament. They're able to participate and do many more things than our, our uh, traditional Bible uh, interpretation has led them to, to be. And there are variations in those three different areas, uh, major variations. And so it's going to be very interesting, uh, Jim. Uh, John Mark Hicks is, you know, having a book on this, should be out in a couple of weeks. It's going to be interesting to read his whole theological treatise. To do this properly, most churches take a at least a year to study yeah. this issue if yeah. they're going to, yeah. to do it very thoroughly. So uh, that's a very quick summary of kind of the three things. And John Mark's kind of in the middle, you know, in that area. Yeah, the, the way that the way I can describe it is that, uh, is that uh, you, you may have turned on your mic. Uh, the, the way that I, I uh, your mic went off. Okay. The, the way I describe it Hello? is can, can you hear me? I can't hear you. Your mic went off. Oh, okay. I'm not sure what's going on. Hopefully, everyone else can. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but you're back. <laughs> yeah, that if that when you go and check on your children in the bed and you keep the door open and there's light in the hallway, right there where the door is cracked, there's just a a little gap of light. And as it goes across the room, it, it becomes wider. And so there becomes this trajectory. trajectory. That's kind of what John Mark was talking about. Any other thoughts on that before we move on? I, I Somehow I missed the first part of what you said, Brad, because uh, either my speaker was cutting out or your mic was cutting out. So what did you say about trajectory? trajectory? Yeah. Well, you, you missed it. It was brilliant. Now, what I was saying here, <laughs> that if, if you crack a door open to a room and you've got light on the hallway, then that light gets wider and wider as it goes across a dark room. And if you look at, at this subject or, or others, there seems to be a trajectory that was put in place by Jesus and then Paul that, that gets wider as it goes out. And so we have to figure out, not just on this subject, but... Uh, in, in looking at what are the truths and what was the trajectory through scripture as we try to figure out how to uh, live out the Jesus story in this day and age. Any last thoughts on that? Well, I, I think if you look, and let's look at the end point in terms of Jim's question, in terms of that, that light, that trajectory widened. Mm -hmm. There is no indication that I know of, at least from my reading in the New Testament, in the new creation, that there will be any differences between men and women and what they do and what they say and what they're they're up to. There, you know, we don't know. We there, until we get there, we don't know exactly how things are going to be. I hope it's, it sounds like it's going to be good. Yep. So, if you're looking at that trajectory. That, that's where that widen is. Clearly, it didn't start that way in the story, you yeah. know, because we have, yeah. we have 
polygamy, we have all kinds of things, you know, we have the patriarchal age, the patriarchs, etc. And you have that in culture too. And our yeah. culture is changing as well. So there is a widening there. Now how to how to navigate that, you know, you, to navigate it, you have your own culture, you have our theological heritage, you have the the uh, local congregation in its perception. And you know what Paul said, and it, I think it's particularly uh, true in this issue, this issue as well, when he was talking about Christian liberty. He said, all things are permissible, mm -hmm. but not all things are expedient. Yeah. And so there's yeah. a lot of wisdom that has to go into how you navigate that tradition and that widening of window. Yeah. So one of the things that we have to kind of weigh in on and, and think about is, you know, even when Paul is laying out, this is how you're supposed to do things based on what's going on right now and in our culture. But then, so he gives a command and then he follows it up with, but in the Lord, this is how you view that. And so there's this tension between how do Christ followers live out in the culture in which they are, but then also in their hearts live into this Jesus story. And that's where things get interesting. So, you know, and I think about that in the, let's say the subject of slavery. You know, mm -hmm. if you look at the subject of slavery, our culture over a couple of hundred years has said, uh -huh. uh, that's one of the worst things you can do in our culture is have a slave, if you will. But in the Roman culture, it was pervasive throughout the world. Yeah. And Paul didn't yeah. say, go abolish slavery in the Roman Empire. That's not how he handled that particular thing, even though in our culture, it's anathema. And God does say, don't make slavers of yourself. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, he I was. Go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I'm just going to say I, I love Scott McKnight's work on uh, Philemon and Onesimus and how he basically says what he's doing in that letter is the most powerful letter in the whole New Testament because it sets forth a seed that's going to germinate and totally dismantle slavery in the years to come even though he's not forbidding it at that moment. It's very, very powerful. Well, in an, in an individual Christian life, in the, the, that whole context too, not, not in that letter, basically Paul says if, if you become a Christian in a given state, yeah. then serve God in that state. If you can better have a better state, you know, later, that's fine, do that. But he's not telling you to, to uh, change your professions or change your state necessarily when you become a Christian, only if the opportunity lets you do it so you can uh, serve Christ better. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's a pretty powerful statement within itself. Absolutely. Okay, so let me let me hit you with another one while, while we got just, just a little bit of time. I know we're going a little bit over. Because you spoke about the, the new creation. And so obviously we've got what what life was like before the fall in Genesis 1 and 2. And then we have a clear indication as to the new creation 
where we'll all be made perfect and what it looks like on the other side. So those both become God's ideal. Lynn, talk a little bit about how that, uh, how we're interpreting scripture really determines whether we're going to, how much in the new creation are we going to live into now versus keeping a baseline of where things were in the first century. Because what Peter is doing at Pentecost is talking about with the coming of the Spirit, it's going to change everything. Uh, but we've kind of taken the approach of it's only going to change for the first century, and then the Lord's going to put a cap on the Spirit. And this new creation, none of that's going to be realized until the second coming. I don't believe that. I I, I believe the new creation in the kingdom of God are, are to be lived into right now. And we should be on a pathway to getting where God wants us ultimately to be. How do you weigh in on that? Uh, the most quoted parable of all Christians and people that are nominal Christians is the Lord's Prayer. So yeah. if you listen to that very first thing, you know, our Father heard in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as it is in heaven. What is he saying? He's not saying, that's not talking about just the new creation at the end. He says, thy kingdom be done on earth now as it is yeah. in heaven. That is, transformation has begun with Christ's uh, incarnation, if you will, and is continuing as we are now. And Christians are to help that whole transformation, if you will. Not in yeah. the millennial sense that yeah. uh, that Alexander Campbell had, but but in the in the sense of uh, instilling by the light the way we live our lives, how we love our brothers, and how we love each other, we become the transformation agent for God followers. Yeah. So I, I, I think even, I, I completely agree with you. I, and I think Paul wrestles with how much instruction he gives based on the, the, the uh, first, the fall, our fallen state versus the new creation. And so he has to hold those intentions. Uh, I, I didn't quite catch that. Well, like when, when he's given instructions, he makes reference to uh, to Eve in, in the fall uh, and, and all of that. But then he gets into the new creation and, and where we're headed. So at some times he's having to talk about the fall and our fallen nature while at the same time pointing us to the future reality. Well, that, that's what transformation is all about. Yeah. You know, our fallen nature is there before we become a Christian. It's still there after we a Christian. The difference is through the Holy Spirit. You mentioned that earlier through yeah. the Holy Spirit. He helps us transform our lives into that new life. And yeah. as John says, you know, in first John, uh, we're going to be uh, walking in the light. And that that's to answer the Antichrist. And then we are going to be living as sons of God now, mm -hmm. living as sons of God now. And so that 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 is that whole transformation going from that fallen state into being like Christ to the new creation now yeah. here. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. It, Jesus said, I am not, I am come to have life, you know, full, full and spilling over. And he's talking about life now in that particular verse in John 10, 10, I believe uh, that he's talking about that particular thing. So Christians should be one of the most joyful and positive people around because of what he has given us. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, one, one last thing is uh, I've been talking with my daughter, Maggie, about, uh, you know, Priscilla and Aquila going and talking with Apollos. And it, it's really interesting that he was just preaching John's baptism and, and really the idea of repentance and the idea of, of, of even the salvation that comes through Jesus. But he wasn't preaching this new life in the spirit. And so Priscilla and Aquila had pulled him aside and said, okay, I'm glad that you're preaching. Folks can get saved and they can repent of all the bad things they've been doing and trying to do a new life. But without the power of the spirit and ongoing work of the spirit, your gospel is so incomplete. You gotta keep going with what God and his spirit are doing in life. You know, the, the, uh, the some that have uh, latched on to just Acts 2.38, uh, repent and be baptized, etc. And they say, okay, if you're not uh, be baptized for the remission of sins, if you don't understand that it's for the remission of sins, that it's not a proper baptism. I'd like to weigh in on that in this, this sense. Yeah. What is the next yeah. part of that verse? And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's coupled with absolutely salvation. Absolutely. Yep. And so if you yep. say, uh, I'm sorry, you didn't understand that it's for the remission of sins, and you therefore your baptism is null and void, you have to say, if you don't understand what the gift of the Holy Spirit is when you were baptized, your baptism is null and void too. The logic says they're linked. Yeah. And that is not yeah. a very good way to look at things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very good. Glenn, this has been very beneficial. If you don't mind, would you close this out uh, in a word of prayer for our congregation as we, as brothers and sisters, wrestle with some of these things that could be very challenging for us? Okay. Father, we're so grateful for our Jesus who came to this world as to redeem us, to show us God's love, and to show us how to live and how to be a disciple. We know, Lord, that uh, we have many, many uh, Godfathers in this congregation, and we are all trying to understand how your will is to be uh, lived out in this life. We may have different understandings, we are different places in our spiritual walk. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you will help us uh, through the Holy Spirit to understand what is best for us and for the congregation. We ask that you be with the staff and with the eldership of, of the congregation that here, that uh, they may, may, may make wise decisions. We uh, pray, Lord, that you will be with our country uh, that's facing a major crisis in health and in uh, political decision making, that uh, the leaders there will be uh, 
return this uh, country to the principles of your kingdom and help people to make the wise decisions in that area as well. Uh, help us all to be safe, to, uh, to care for one another, and to always uh, look to you for guidance on how we should live. We ask that you would forgive us when we do wrong and to help us always to uh, be mindful of each other, encourage one another, and lift one another up that we can work out our own salvation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lynn, and thank you to all of our online crew. We appreciate all your good comments and appreciate you coming. Once again, uh, we're going to be doing some interviews and some testimonials. So I encourage you, if you'd like to be interviewed uh, and would like to share a little bit about your story, uh, we'll be doing those for the next few weeks. So let me know. Otherwise, I'll be hitting some of you guys up. Thank you all for being a part of this and have a blessed week. Okay.